Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhivkova. On this World Whale Day, we devote our episode to the ocean, one of the most important places on our planet and home to thousands of different plant and animal species. We have the pleasure to meet Marcus Raymond, a director of TBA21 Academy and an advocate of ocean literacy research and conservation. Marcus expands on his mission and tells us about how creativity and global collaboration with tribalizers in the fields of art and science, such as Olaf Reilison, David Gruber and the new exhibition with Woodsang on Wales, opening this 21st of February, can foster ocean's restoration. Hi Marcus, we are delighted to have you here at Zeitgeist 19. Can you please tell us about uh, the core mission of TBA 21 Academy and how in your vision a partnership between art and science protects the ocean? Um, Thank you very much for the question and thank you very much for having me on your podcast. TBA 21 Academy uh, considers itself as a contemporary art foundation and cultural ecosystem fostering a deeper relationship to the ocean and other bodies of water through the lens of art to inspire care and action. So artistic practice is fundamental to our work because artists have the capacity to go beyond what we know um, to what we can imagine and create spaces for unexpected encounters. And so through the lens of art, we open up a research space that embraces transdisciplinarity, ebbing and flowing between disciplines, languages, and ways of learning. And we do so by thinking more than oceanically, becoming radically sensitive and embracing a regenerative approach to culture. So what is art but an exercise in allowing ourselves to approach the world with curiosity and play? Um, and so that's that's how we understand ourselves. And, uh, and that's how we describe the mission of our work. On the other hand, I think um, we're trying to stay away from the, this, this idea that we can save or protect anything, right? Uh, I think I think working with um, uh, in collaboration and in solidarity with nature and with the ocean, with other bodies of water, actually teaches our, our, ourselves to how to survive. No, that's I think that's what's at at stake. Not necessarily the world or the environment or nature. All of that will survive. The question is, will we? And um, and so to think uh, from the the climate breakdown and from a place of emergency or catastrophe uh, to think fluidly with water right to as a as a process instead of um from fixity and and maybe product uh, i think this is uh, this is what we're attempting to do and so therefore thinking with water um is tremendously helpful thank you marcus we would love to know more about your expeditions engaging artists, scientists, and activists. Um, you have collaborated with renowned tribalizers in the fields of art and science, such as Olafur Eliasson and David Gruber. How have you been able to contribute to the conversation so far? I think that's exactly what we're doing. No, that uh, by by bringing in uh, diverse practitioners or practitioners from diverse fields, no artists, scientists, environmentalists, legal experts, uh, indigenous colleagues, um, practitioners. Uh, so bringing in also indigenous worldviews and indigenous ways of thinking 
um, has enabled us to uh, to create a different kind of discourse and and collaboration. No, that is not uh, not necessarily one of an economic ex exchange. No, between an artist and a scientist. So the artist gives you information or data, and the scientist uh, the the scientist gives you information and data, and the artist then paints a nice picture and gives you communication and visibility. On the other hand, no, what we're really trying to do. Um, is is uh, to to bring incredibly diverse uh, groups of people together, and then uh, and then facilitate that conversation. So this means a lot of translating, a lot of convening, um, a lot of facilitating and mediating, and um, we've committed the work of the organization um, to respond to the information that artists and others bring to us on a systemic level, right? So some aspects of the work will become artworks and exhibitions through which um, audiences and visitors can engage with the questions and with the discourse that we're investigating. No, all of the work is research-based, it's long-term, it's process-oriented um, and so on. Um, but other aspects of the work become legal um, or policy interventions, they become conservation uh, interventions or they become educational um, uh, formats, right? So we're trying, we're trying to um, really respond um, in 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 meaningful ways. So um, what was important for us to go beyond this idea of exhibiting concerns, but really then uh, stepping into these uh, concerns and embodying them, right? So we are quite active um, in the policy space. Uh, around topics like deep sea mining, which is currently discussed at, uh, at uh, the International Seabed Authority in Kingston, Jamaica. And it's quite relevant right now because um, uh, there's a case being made that for the green energy uh, transition, and especially for the electric vehicles, it is important to mine the deep seabed. Um, this case is being made without fully understanding the relevance um, of the deep seabed, without really known, knowing the ecosystem of the deep seabed, and with fully uh, a full, complete unawareness of the consequences of mining the deep seabed. Um, because not only are um, is that a pristine uh, ecosystem that has not been touched, or um, it's taken um, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years to develop the way that it is. Um, there's also massive amounts of carbon stored in the deep seabed. So dredging that um, will have consequences that we don't know yet. So we're observers at the International Seabed Authority. That's one thing we've been advising uh, the European Commission on formulating its mission, Healthy Ocean. Um, and, and we're in other... Um, policy um, making bodies uh, present either ob as observers or ad as advisors. We've initiated three conservation sites. Um, one of them uh, is in Jamaica. Another one was in uh, or still is in Costa Rica. And the last one was uh, in Fiji. Uh, the one in Jamaica we're most closely still involved with through an artist in residency program where we send once a year an artist to Jamaica to work with a marine biologist, with the conservationists, with the community. Um, and others have become um, educational programs like a joint PhD program with the Max Planck Institute. And then there's obviously the work that we do in Venice at Ocean Space, where um, the results of multi-year research 
trajectories are shown uh, through exhibitions and then unfolded through a rather diverse and dynamic public program where we bring in you know um, speakers from the sciences where we have uh, community building um, exercises through uh, food programs and programs of conviviality where we have screenings um, and performance programs and so on so where it's really where we try to offer a kaleidoscopic view on the questions and on the topics that we're investigating always led by artists. Marcus, you mentioned the challenge of the unknown. Um, are there any bigger challenges than that? And uh, what solutions you have identified along the way towards marine conservation so far? What are bigger challenges than the unknown? Um, that's such a good question. What are bigger challenges than the unknown? Um, Fear of change, I guess. Um, and um, the, the second part of the question was, uh, uh, what was the second part of the question? Solutions um, a lot towards marine conservation. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the big challenges, or there's a number of big challenges with marine conservations, no? Um, on the one hand, now, uh, as we're uh, nearly halfway through the United Nations decade of ocean sciences for sustainable development, um, there is this uh, there's this call uh, which is which is kind of coined 30 by 30, which means protecting 30 percent of the ocean by 2030. Um, we are we are a far cry away from it as we as we um, speak. Um, but in this attempt to have these um, uh, large conservation areas, I think very often what is what is um, overlooked is actually um, the implementation of them, or how do we how do we involve community in them? No, what we what we see currently, um, both uh, on land and at sea, is that these idea ideas of fortress conservation, right? Conservation science, where it's very clearly a, um, a clash between uh, nature and humans. So we need to lock out humans so that nature can, can thrive, uh, only benefits, um, either only benefits nature, or it benefits the, the people visiting these conservation sites, but usually not the people inhabiting the shorelines of these conservation sites, right? So I think one of the big challenges is A, um, how do we actually engage communities to get involved in conservation? How do we, um, how do we change and redistribute funding of conservation, right? Because currently it's highly, highly, highly competitive and so, um, and so actually challenges like um, marine conservation or marine regeneration, which would need uh, sprawling and wide reaching alliances um, and, and solidarity networks, actually they are set up in a way that they have to constantly compete with each other and individuals or individual ideas are being, are being awarded. Uh, whereas we need, we need, um, diverse uh, uh, kind of networked approaches right so i think these are these are inherent challenges to the ways that we have designed um conservation so nature versus na nature against humans or humans against nature uh, on the other hand it's excluding very often excluding local communities 
um, and and uh, when you're kind of in a in a survival mindset, no, because because you're um, a sustenance fisherman, a sustenance farmer, and so on, and and have to survive, and all of a sudden. Um, you're locked out of the the space that you that you usually frequent to survive, right? But there's no alternatives. Then it becomes really, really, really difficult to participate in that. Um, and lastly, the way that conservation is financed um, is is highly challenging because usually it it means that you need to be able to apply for grants or to foundations or to government. Meaning you need to um, you need to kind of use a certain language. Um, it means that you need to actually have the time to sit down to write and apply for grants, um, which takes you away from actually doing the work that you want to do, which is the work in the field. Um, and uh, and then you have to compete against a vast mass um, of, of global players that want to do the same thing or a similar thing as you, but somehow they are they are now framed as competitors so you need to you need to be better than them so i think these are these are some of the challenges there there's many 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 other challenges but these are some of the challenges that we've encountered and that we're thinking through on how to actually address them Marcus, thank you so much for your insightful answer. I would love to know more about the ocean space as I visited it in Venice uh, during the biennial. A truly impressive space that the Biennale audience saw for the first time last year and really impactful installations by the Neosociabibape and, and Diana Policarpo. As a curator, I'm curious to know about the process of artist selection and how do you see the role of ocean space, as well as the role of your new program, The Current, in fostering a long-needed social and environmental change? Um, ocean space and The Current are uh, inextricably entangled. No, So what you've seen uh, now, um, Diana Policapo and Dineo Zeshe are the is the second year of a two-year curatorial cycle curated by um, Chus Martinez. And Chus Martinez before that was the leader of uh, the current fellowship program. So the current um, was the first uh, formalized program within TBA 21 Academy. And it started already in 2015. We launched it during COP21 in Paris. And, um, and as I said, it's a curatorial fellowship. So we invite guest curators and to, to lead these three-year cycles. And for the first two uh, iterations, um, we would bring once a year these curators um, together with five people from different disciplines that uh, the curators had invited uh, together on a boat uh, for two weeks at a time. Uh, the boat was a 39-meter explorer vessel. And um, and we brought them together under certain curatorial aspects that we had discussed uh, and and deliberated with the curators beforehand. Um, and uh, and the question was not one of production, but the question was one of engagement, engagement with each other, engagement with the places and communities, human and non-human, uh, that we would visit at the time, and um, and engagement with the with the ocean. It was really a moment of togetherness proximity and immersion um and what and the question of what happens when five people or six people that um previously might not have met before encounter each other in such an enclosed space as a boat 
um, far away from uh, anything that they'd known before. Um, and and uh, what happens if all of a sudden five or six individuals become a collective, chosen or not chosen, right? And um, and so the first cycle was was led by Utameta Bauer and it was uh, somehow addressing really these questions of collectivity. Um, and then in a in a second iteration, it was it was um, investigating the question of how modern conservation is tapping into ancestral um, tools, uh, societal tools of of um, ecosystem management, right? So um, looking at uh, at uh, tools like the Rahui, which is a which is a um, Kind of a reef management or um, fish management um, tool based on the lunar calendar, right? So it's it's all about, it's it's about protecting certain uh, sites on the on a reef and and taking species only at a certain point, and so on. The other one was uh, was a question of the uh, taboo, which is more prevalent in in Melanesia, whereas the rahui is very much a, a Polynesian um, uh, tool. Um, so that was the first cycle with uh, with Utameta Bauer. The second cycle was led by uh, Chus Martinez. Again, um, two years going onto the boat. The third year was then um, was then uh, COVID, and she was very much looking at the ocean as uh, as an art space. Can the ocean be an art space, right? And what does that mean? Uh, so this this question of nature and culture, um, and and what is our relationship? to uh to nature um and out of this three-year research cycle came this two-year exhibition cycle the soul expanding ocean one two three four which was uh taloy havini isabel lewis uh dineo sechebo papa and diana policapo um next year's exhibition will be the result of um the current three which was led by barbara casavecchia and was looking at uh, the mediterraneans or the Mediterranean, and um, and uh, we've changed the format with the opening of Ocean Space. So in 2019, we opened Ocean Space, and and besides um, the the pandemic starting in 2020, we had already taken the decision that we would not um, use the boat any longer because we decided that um, two very carbon heavy heavy um, parts of the program were absolutely unjustifiable. And so, therefore, we we skipped the boat and decided for the space. Um, the space has actually always meant to be um, a gesture towards Venice first and the Venetian um, citizens first, and then the in international visitors um, and the Biennale um, as well. And and so we open. We usually open before the Biennale. Uh, and we don't run for the full extent of the Biennale uh, because we've decided that we would not have a climate control or anything like that uh, within the space, which makes it um, more, I guess, difficult to, for the artists to work with because obviously temperature fluctuates massively. Also in Venice, um, the humidity fluctu fluctuates massively. So this, has, uh, this is something that the artists then will have to deal with. But um, what what we do for Ocean Space is that all of the works that we show are new commissions and new productions, um, and we commission the artists directly. So meaning 
None of the work comes from the collection or goes necessarily straight into the TBA21 collection, right? So we commission and produce it, then it goes back to the artists, and then the collection has first right of refusal to enter into a conversation with the artist uh, about acquiring the work or not. But there's not a there's not a through line, right? Um, usually we have one exhibition um, a year. So the one that you saw this year was obviously it was one exhibition in two parts. Uh, in both sides of the space, um, and this is this is usually what we do, um, and then this exhibition then gets unfolded and activated through um, through a diverse and, and dynamic public program, right? And this goes all the way from uh, educational program. We're now doing uh, preschool to um, to end of high school, right? So this is kind of the age range that we go through in the in the educational program. Then we have a, a digital. Uh, higher education program, which is called Ocean Uni, but in this space, it's it's pre to end of high school. And uh, then we have uh, film screenings, um, performances, uh, we have con conversations, workshops, and so on. Um, as I said before, we have this uh, convivial tables, a food program that's thinking about um, the changing landscape within the lagoon uh, through the lens of food and food production. We're we're thinking about. You know, food sovereignty and distribution, um, and uh, and conviviality. So, how do you how do you actually create community? The idea behind ocean space, or the 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 hypothesis that we wanted to test with such a situated program, was really: can art and culture, or a, a space for art and culture, become a transformative agent within a community, within a neighborhood, within a city? And in here, especially the city and its relationship to the lagoon, that was uh, that was the question, and um, yeah, that's what we're trying to test. Um, and and uh, so far, I think many people have um, have enjoyed the program quite a bit. You know, this was the first exhibition I actually visited as I landed in Venice, and it felt like the right thing to do, a very meaningful thing to do, while you're still in, still yourself and it's still calm before the crazy rhythms of Biennale kick in. I remember being blown away by what I've seen, and I'm so happy we get to talk about it today. So thank you so much for sharing this tremendously important activity that you guys are doing. Thank you very much for having me, and I, obviously I speak on behalf of uh, an incredibly talented and engaged team. It's not me, it's uh, many, many, many of us. <laughs>